I'm not used to standing too still, so I'm going to try and remember today to try and keep speaking into this thing. I might be able to take it off if we can, but we're going to turn this morning to uh, 1 John. Uh, It's almost at the end of the Bible, so if you open a Bible and turn right, nearly get to the end, don't hit the last book, go back a few, uh, you'll find the letter of, of 1 John. And John is writing to the church about their life together and his hopes and dreams as their founder and as their pastor for what life in Jesus together might look like. Uh, There's a word that he keeps repeating through this passage that we're going to be focusing on uh, today. So 1 John chapter 1, going to start reading at verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our hands and touch, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message which we heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. So, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Let's just pray together for a moment. So Lord, we thank you for the gift of the the word of life. Jesus, your word, it's remarkable to us, Lord, that we can pause and speak to you, the God of all creation. Even more incredible to us, Lord, that you would pause to speak to us. So we thank you for the gift of moments like these. We thank you for the gift of your word. So Holy Spirit, we pray as we open it today, would you open our hearts and minds to what you would have to say to us? As we gather in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in a series at the moment called Habitat, and we're thinking about the habits that make up our lives, the little pieces that, when you put them all together, make up the picture of me and make up the picture of you. And I'd like to just uh, share two things before we get going today that might become habits for us. 
Uh, we're in a season of Lent together at the moment, preparing ourselves to remember Easter and celebrate that together. So on our church website, bethelcardiff.org.uk, if you type that and then type forward slash blog, uh, there's daily readings for us that are going through this season of Lent. Uh, and we're walking through the final moments, really, of Jesus' earthly life, the final chapters of, of John's Gospel. So if you hit play, uh, you'll hear a very professional voice reading the scripture to you, or me, if it's a dodgy one. Uh, and just a thought uh, for the day. There's some prayers there as well, and as many of us have been discovering, there's space to add our own prayers to that. Uh, so that might help us form the habit of spending time with God in his word and, and in prayer. So if that's helpful to you, uh, please do go ahead and, and check that out. Uh, the other thing that's becoming a habit as part of our rhythm together is on the last Sunday of every month, which this month is next Sunday, uh, we'll gather together as usual in the mornings for all-age worship, our all-together service. Uh, but then late afternoon, about half past four, we're gathering for prayer and praise together. Uh, and we're super excited about next week. We've got two other churches joining us together to pray into this vision that we believe God has given us to pray into right now. So I'd love you to come and, and be part of that. It's going to be a big day. We've got the all-age worship in, in the morning. Then we've got a meal together. Uh, and then at half past four, we're going to share together with other brothers and sisters in Christ and praise and, and pray together. So please do plan uh, to come and, and be part of that. I've asked a, a fellow minister, Gareth from Rubina, if he'd just share some encouragement. Uh, so he's going to be doing that, and that alone will be worth the price of the ticket, which, by the way, is free. Uh, but uh, please do come and, and support him and support us uh, together. So, habits. It's not the most appealing word, is it, to think about. Now, when I think about habit, it, it doesn't fill me with encouragement and excitement and passion. When I think about habits, and this might say more about me than, than anything else, uh, I tend to think about things which can become quite robotic, quite ritualistic, quite mechanical. And when it comes to my relationship with God, I'm sure your relationship with God as well, who wants that? Uh, who wants to just rock up and, and do things because we think that we should? Uh, who wants to just be that kind of dutiful, joyless kind of person? And yet we recognize that habits are inevitable. Uh, it doesn't matter what kind of personality type you've got. You, we all develop our own habits together. Uh, this is a great definition for us of, uh, of habits. Any regular, repeated behavior that requires little or no thought. Little or no thought at all. Uh, you will have done some of these things already today that you just did them. If you try to think back over, what have I done with my morning? There'll be these things that you've done just because it's the morning. Some of the things that you've done just because it's Sunday. Little or no thought at all. And another key part of defining habits is that they're learned things. So there's other things that we do habitually, like breathing. So you might want to just check the person next to you is still breathing. Uh, that like thinking, that are innate, aren't they? Nobody said to me, remember to breathe, although that might be a good thing to do. Uh, but there are other things that we learn along the way, and as we've been discovering in this series, some of them are really healthy and helpful, and some of them aren't. As we've been going through this series together, I wonder if people have been thinking, well, I'm not sure if I've got any habits at all. So just as a complete change of pace this morning, I'd like you to turn to the people around you, and simply ask this question, uh, what are my habits? What do, you, what do you notice that I do regularly? Just take 30 seconds with the people around you. Uh, what are my habits? 
Okay, before that gets more personal than it needs to, <laughs> a few very unhappy faces out there. I didn't mean that to go quite as deep and dark as it went so, so quickly. But it's true, isn't it? Maybe you just learned something about yourself. Somebody said to me years ago when I started preaching that I've got this little sway that I do. Apparently, I go back a few steps and then come forward. If it, I had no idea that I, I'm, a, I'm a swaying preacher. I had no idea at all. Uh, there's things that require such little or no thought that I don't even know that I'm doing them. There was a, a study done recently at uh, Dale University that was looking at how much of our lives is made up by habits. Take a moment, 30 seconds, talk to the person next to you. How much a percentage do you think of daily life is just habits? Take, take a shot, take a shot. Or you can read the screen behind me. Obviously, I've been swaying so hard I've leant on the button at some point. Apologies for that. Not quite sure why that happened or why it's still happening. But yeah, 40% uh, of our daily life. That's a huge amount, isn't it? 40%. And so part of what I want to do as we journey through this series together is not just to kind of look at some of the bad habits or some of the good habits, but to look at some of the habits that we do do because none of us want to have sort of mindless, meaningless habits and think about why we do what we do. I love the picture that we're given in the New Testament of the early church. There's this incredible miracle that births the movement that has now spread throughout the, the generations, throughout the nations, and somehow has reached this tiny little place called Wales and has touched your life and mine today, this thing that we call church. But there's this incredible miracle that takes place uh, the disciples who've walked with Jesus and, and journeyed with Jesus uh, are struggling to know what to do. Uh, they're still huddling in, in fear. They're, they're not quite sure how they turn this thing called their faith in Jesus, who they've seen die on the cross, know is risen from the dead. What do you do with that? Life can't just go on as normal, right? And so they huddled together in this upper room, and we're told that this sound fills the room. A sound that seems to come from heaven, the, the sound of wind. And then they see something like flames of fire, which descend from above them, then separate and land on each of them. And they begin to speak in other languages. This is incredible. It says something immediately, doesn't it, about God's desire for the church. It's not going to be for one small group of people in this one specific place speaking this one specific language. That the church are going to have to learn other languages. They're going to have to spread out to encounter different people and cultures and ways of life. And the, the message of Jesus is going to go. And so in their excitement, they spill out of this room. Uh, and a crowd of people around them who were there for this big festival say, how, how can I understand what's being said at the same time as somebody else from another part of the world can understand what's being said. This, this sort of miracle of what does this mean? And Peter, a man who just shy of two months ago couldn't even admit to knowing Jesus, filled with the, the Spirit of God, stands up and explains this isn't drunken behavior. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And he talks about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And the crowd say, well, what do we have to do? And he's really clear. 
He says, repent. Bring it to God, the mess, the brokenness, the pain. Leave it there. Walk away. Turn around. Repent. Believe. Be baptized. That incredible symbol of being washed clean. And you will receive forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus. And the gift of the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, this promise is for you. So everyone in the sound of his voice. Uh, for your children. For your children's children. So the yet unborn for some of them. And for as many as the Lord our God will call. This is an international invitation into something new. And we're told that just casually something like 3,000 people were baptized uh, on that day. Just something around that number. It's an incredible moment. It's an incredible miracle. And then what Luke does, this incredible historian, is to zoom out from this moment and give us a little picture of what that meant for them. So suddenly there's 11 guys who've started to share the story of Jesus with thousands of people looking at them. So what do we do now? How do we live together? And they form this community, this community of Jesus, this way of life of Jesus. And Luke gives us this picture of it in, in Acts chapter 2. He says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They devoted themselves to, in other words, devoted. We tend to think of that as a kind of a single moment action, don't we, uh, in the English language, a, a moment of devotion. Uh, but in the Jewish language, it implies a, a, a continual action. Uh, it means that they committed themselves to these things. So it basically means as a community together, they had these four habits. They did these things habitually together, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, why is that important? Well, as we've just read in, in John, the apostles were those people who knew Jesus, who'd lived with Jesus, who saw what he did, who heard what he said. And so it's so important that for this to be an authentically Christian community, it goes right back to those eyewitnesses, those people who knew Jesus together. So the apostles' teaching had a, had a really important place in their life together. They knew we need to be inspired by Jesus. We need to be instructed by Jesus, so they devoted themselves to, to the teaching of the apostles and to fellowship, a word that we'll come on to in just a moment. Now, part of that meant the breaking of bread. Now, that'll sound to some of us today like quite a random phrase to include uh, in a group of activities for a community, but it's a way in which they described a really special meal, a meal that Jesus had given to them on the last night of his life, a meal that we're about to reenact later in our service today, when he took bread and he said to them, I've tried to tell you this so many times, and so I'm going to have to show you. This is my body. And then he broke it. As clear as he can, this is broken. I'm about to be broken. My life is about to be given for you, he says. The death of Jesus is, is for you. So he says, take and eat it in remembrance of me. And that's what we're going to do in a moment. It was so important for this early community that one of their habits kept them Christ-centered. That every time they gathered, they gathered around this meal. Every time they gathered, they remembered it's because of Jesus that we're here. It's because of Jesus that we're free. It's because of Jesus that we know love and life. 
and to prayer, to this mysterious gift, talking with God, listening to God. And central to all of those things was this word fellowship. Fellowship. Kind of a a mysterious word, I guess, uh, in our day today. Uh, In the original language, in in Greek, it's got at its core this word common. Uh, And it simply means that they shared what they had so much so that they they had a common life together, a a shared life together. Uh, In a few chapters' time, Luke will tell us that this is so real that they don't consider possessions their own. So if somebody had need of anything, they'd just give it to them. It's not mine, it's ours. That's how much they considered their life as a common life together. It's the word from which we get the word community today. It's a sharing, a shared life. It's a participating in. It's not something that I go to, it's something that I am. It's not something that I spectate, it's something that I participate in. I like this phrase, intentional intimacy. It's not incidental, it's deliberate. And this intimacy has an intention. It's going somewhere. It's producing something. Fellowship. In our day, if you've grown up in church or if you've been in church for a while, you might know the word fellowship, but it's kind of become a bit of a cliche, hasn't it, in our circles. Next Sunday, we've got a a lunch together, and sometimes we refer to those as, as a fellowship meal. But it's possible, isn't it, to have a meal with somebody and and not be in fellowship with them. So the fact that we're sat around tables together, eating together, does not necessarily make it fellowship. A group of people gathered together is not necessarily for that purpose, a fellowship, without there being a shared life together. One of the things I've really enjoyed as we've gone through this series together is recording some podcasts with uh, some people just to ask them, what are your habits? How can I learn from you and how can we learn together in this shared life? Because we don't just share it with us, we share it with people all around the world. How do we learn together? And uh, This week I got to interview an author. I'll be honest, because it was an author, I had a shave, Uh, I ironed a shirt, I thought about what I was going to (laughs) say, there was a bit of a, a, a plan for it. Uh, and uh, he's somebody who's, who's meant a lot to me over the years. He records podcasts himself and, and writes a lot. And his kind of view on life, his view on prayer has been so helpful to me. that I was really excited. And I was kind of nervous that I was going to turn into this sort of lovey mess and just kind of fanboy my way through, through the whole thing. But it's interesting, isn't it, in those situations, especially when we're meeting someone for the first time, how we kind of present our best self to them. My shaved self, my ironed self. Because you guys know, creases are not a problem for me. <laughs> Stubble is not an issue for me. But when you meet somebody, you present something different, don't you? And I wonder how often, when we gather together as church, is it our true self that we share? Or a presented self? I'm not saying you don't have to iron a shirt. If you turn up with one that's creased, nobody's going to judge you. Richard, please don't worry at all about the creased shirt you've got on this morning. Nobody's noticed. But it's true, isn't it, how sometimes 
we don't want to show our true selves to each other. There's a tremendous amount of research that's been done on this in our day, and I won't go through it all now, but they talk about four stages of, of belonging and how we all have these different groups that we're part of, social and, and public and friendship groups. And then right at the core is this group called intimate belonging. They say most people have one to five intimates, people who really know the true self, people who we don't filter our thoughts with, people who we don't shape our stories with, we're just completely ourselves with. Really interestingly, some research recently has shown that here in Britain, we have fewer intimates than ever. Some research suggested some people have nobody in their life at all that they can be completely themselves with, which means whenever they're with others, it's their presented self. I can't think of a, a tragedy worse than that. To constantly be presenting, to constantly be considering our, our words and our phrases together. I wonder who your intimates are in your life. The people who know you the people who, who see you. Another interesting thing about this podcast was I'm very used to hearing Terry's voice because I've listened to a lot of his podcasts. And as he was explaining something and unpacking something, I got so caught up in what he was saying that I forgot I had to say anything in reply. And I had to apologize and say, I'm so sorry. Uh, yes, of course. And we, the conversation carried on. And again, church can become that, can't it? That place that I come to, and I sit and I listen, but how much reply do I make? How much of myself do I share, do I bring, do I give? Luke goes on to describe uh, in this passage how they didn't just meet in the temple courts, which they were allowed to do for a while. They met in each other's homes. That's significant, isn't it? Who do you let through the front door of your house? And then, when they come in through the front door, what other doors are they welcome to? Can they go and open the fridge door? Take something out? Are there, are there seats that they can't sit in? Are there things that they can't do? Do you expect them to take off their shoes or to keep them on? Or to open your home to somebody is a big thing, isn't it? Increasingly in our day, I think we're not used to that. You know, when you're all sat there and everybody that you know is in the room and someone knocks the door, we, we panic and we look at each other and say, who on earth could that be? And how dare they knock on our door? Because it's become this sort of inner sanctum, this place where I can be me. Well, who gets to come in? Who gets to enter into that? They met in each other's homes. And Luke tells us that they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now, Richard, I think the, the PowerPoint slowed down. If you could tap it on, I feel that'd be great. Uh, with glad and sincere hearts. Now, this is not a comment on the quality of the food they had when they came together. This word, sincere, there's a big discussion in our day about where that word comes from, and there's an interesting possibility. Uh, this word, seer, the second half of the word, can be translated as a word that sounds very much like wax. Uh, now, back in the day, if you were rich and important, one of the ways that you demonstrated that in your home was to buy marble statues. And the bigger and the grander, the better. But of course, over time, these things get chipped and they crack. And uh, so, so there was an industry, a whole industry around this, people who were wax fillers. 
who could come to your house uh, or to your place of work and fill in the cracks with wax. And so it would look new for a while. It would look like marble, but over time it would age differently. And so although the cracks were filled, they would yellow and they would stain in a way that marble wouldn't. The word sin simply means without. So there's a possibility the word sincere could mean without wax. Do you want to be a waxy church? Kind of smooth over the cracks. Some stuff I never share. Some stuff we never talk about. Some stuff we pretend is okay. Some stuff we avoid. Or sincere. Brave enough to be open together. I'll be honest, it's, that word brave is, is not incidental. It, it takes bravery, doesn't it? It takes courage. Part of this thing, the common life, the communal life together, is it has to be mutual. You know, if I'm going to open my heart to you, it's, it's going to be weird if it's just one way constantly. If church becomes the place that I come to and just whinge about me, there's something unhealthy about that and unhelpful for others. But if this is it's an open place, where I get to peel back the mask and take out some of that wax, glad and sincere hearts. And Luke tells us this was core to who they were as a church together. One of the things that I can often struggle with in life is this very thing. I'll be honest, as I'm talking about this this morning, this is not something I've got nailed down perfectly. It's, It's something that scares me. I'm far more used as a personality to withdrawing. And when there's something painful or or difficult or awkward, to run backwards from it rather than to run towards it, I know how painful it can be. And for some of us here, we've known the pain of not being able to be ourselves. Maybe church for some of us has been a place that's been painful to share struggle. That very place where sincere hearts should be welcome is the very place where sincere hearts were not welcome. And that can lead to all kinds of walls going up, all kinds of barriers, all kinds of masks. I'm not going there again because I know what that felt like. And yet in that there is so much health, there is so much life together. A while ago, I came across a a little book, and it's only a small book, called Life Together, written by a German pastor called Diedrich Bonhoeffer, an incredible guy, incredible thinker. And he was part of the confessing church at a time when that was illegal in Nazi Germany. Uh, He was a wanted man in his country, and when the war started, a lot of uh, richer nations around were trying to get the pastors and take them out of Germany and keep them safe so they could go back in after the war. And many pastors took that opportunity to leave. Bonhoeffer said, no. How can I leave when my people suffer? And how can I be part of rebuilding the church if I was not here to feel the pain of it? And that passion for the fellowship, that intentional commitment to the church, cost him his life 
Uh, he ended up in a concentration camp for that. Uh, but he wrote this book about the life together. He's got so much to teach us uh, about it. And he writes this. It may be that Christians, notwithstanding corporate worship, common prayer, uh, and all their fellowship in service, might still be left to their loneliness. That's interesting, isn't it? Loneliness is not to do with the number of people around you. It's the number of the people who know you. It's possible to be lonely in a crowd. Here's one thing that I was thinking about this week that I know to be true, and I don't know why it's true, but it just seems to be true, that the less I open myself up to others, the less I want to. It's a habit, isn't it, that gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But also the converse is true, that the more I open myself up, up to others, the more I want to. And it takes courage, but that's the path, that's the journey, that's the way. They can still, he says, be left to their loneliness. He goes on to say this. I'll turn around because that's quite small up there. Oh, thank you. The final breakthrough to fellowship does not occur because though they have fellowship with one another as believers and as devout people, they do not have fellowship as the undevout, as sinners. He goes on to say this. Thank you. The pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everyone must conceal their sin from themselves and from the fellowship. We dare not be sinners. And in another passage, he writes so passionately, ironically, there in the kingdom of grace, in the home of Jesus, we can dare to be ourselves. We can dare to be sinners. And we're so clever, aren't we, about the way that we, that we operate. There's things that we'll do and say in certain locations and places that we won't do and say in others. And we don't have to think about this. We don't have to plan this. We just adjust ourselves like chameleons, don't we, to each and every environment. And it means that so, so often things that we struggle with, the things that we wrestle with, uh, and that might be a, a pattern of sin. It might be a, 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 a process of doubt. It might be relying on ourselves. It, it might be the inability to trust God with our kids or our finances or whatever it is, that thing that the Lord is really wanting to put his finger on and work on. We hide it from others. We dare not be sinners. And yet the truth is, the reality is, we all are. One of the most powerful phrases of fellowship is this little two-word phrase. Yes, me too. And sometimes that's just what someone needs to hear. You are not alone. I'm there, or I've been there. Or I can see that. Can I ask us today, and this might seem like a strange question from, from a minister whose job it is to teach the Bible, can we dare to be sinners? Because the alternative is waxy. The alternative is that just that we gather once a week and play act at fellowship together. Just pretend. We come in and we go out and the deeper pains, the deeper issues of our lives that need to know grace and help and love and peace get hidden. 
fester under the surface? Can we dare to be sinners? I was reading a book uh, um, sometime last year called Relational Spirituality. Uh, and it's written by a Christian who's approached this as the other half of his brain, a scientist. And he's been looking really at all the evidence, all the peer sort of studies about the empirical evidence, what helps people to change uh, in their life. Which is a massive question, right? We all want to change, we all want to see change, but none of us quite know how to do it. And so he's been looking at what is actually helpful, what actually brings change. And he concludes that there are three main things. One, he says, is contemplative prayer, which he defines as not just talking at God, but sitting and listening, learning those spaces of silence and stillness in our lives. He says the second thing is deep, intimate friendships. If you want to look at all the evidence, all the studies, what is it that changes a person most? It's people. It's friendships. And the third area is suffering. It's struggle. Heartache battle, difficulty, what really changes you, what's really made you the person that you are. It wasn't the cozy, comfortable situation, it was what you battled through. But to suffer and to struggle without deep, intimate friendships, to try and walk this life of prayer and learn what it is to live life in relationship with God without others around me to support me and encourage me and help me, Almost impossible. So we come back to this simple question of how much do we share together? And of course, that's got to be balanced against how much do we allow others to share? In a moment, I'm going to ask us just to pause and, and pray together. And it's very easy, isn't it, as we gather on a Sunday to learn things on one level. You know, as we, I was thinking about this this week, we, we gather together on a Sunday, and I hope and pray that as we gather together, my, my own sort of preparation is I want to inspire us, and I want to instruct us as we gather together. And that's necessary and important. Teaching, as we saw, is a really key, important thing. But somehow, if it's going to enter into our way of life, it's got to go deeper than that. You know, 52 times a year, if you're here every Sunday, uh, you'll have some instruction, but what, what about the rest of it? And so it might be today that the Lord is calling you into a new habit. That might be thinking about some of the groups that we have already running, the book group that's running, the small groups that are running, the fellowship times that we have, the, the, the free food market, chance to serve together uh, as a church. Maybe there's something that you just need to put in place to, to filter down, to share together, and we'd love to talk to you about that. Or maybe there's a question that the Lord is asking us about how much of that door, not just to our home, but to our heart, are we willing to push open? Let's just pray together for a moment. And I'd love just to invite you to picture your heart. And to imagine that your, your heart has a door on the front of it. And that today, if you can picture this, Jesus is standing there knocking on that door. 
And here's the thing, only you can open it. Only you can choose to, to let him in. And just take a gauge today from yourself. No one else can do this for you. How open is that door? And here's the thing. When Jesus comes, he always brings his wife with him, his bride, the church. And the reality is that the heart only has one door. So I wonder how open that door is to others. Is it open enough to carry the pain of someone who just needs to know they're not alone? Is it open enough to let others see your pain? To dare to be less than perfect? dare to be without wax without mask and Holy Spirit we just want to pray that you'd help us today with this we recognize this is not easy but there's something about us that the life around us the, the atmosphere it's almost like secondhand smoke as taught us that we have to be better than we are. We have to be something that we're not. We have to constantly be oppressive and impressive and, and win approval from others. So help us to open deeper parts of ourselves to grace. That there we might know together that if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just. And that we can walk in the light together, even as you are in the light, and have fellowship with one another. Even knowing the blood of Jesus cleansing us from all sin. So Lord, in places where we've held back, where that grace has not yet come, where your light has not had the space to shine, the, uh, the, the room to breathe, we open our hearts to you today. Lord, I want to pray that nobody in this room today might be alone in their loneliness. That even that courage to say today, I'm lonely, might start to open a door. Not just a friendship, but fellowship. That where there is suffering, Lord, you would bring that sense of a sharing together today, a supporting, a strengthening, a holding, a helping.
Lord, that we might not just be those who listen, but that somehow it would filter down. Oh God, we thank you today for the table that is prepared before us with these simple symbols of bread and of wine. We thank you, Lord, that we are invited here to this table as we are. That we don't come because we've achieved something. We come because we recognize our need of you. We thank you, Lord, that around this table there are no bigger and better seats. That all of us come because we need a savior. All of us come because we need forgiveness. All of us come because we need grace. We thank you, Jesus, that you offer to each and every one of us today your body, your blood, your sacrifice, your grace, your love. So, Lord, we do not want to come mindlessly or meaninglessly. We cast our mind to Calvary to remember afresh all that you've done for us and the power of that sacrifice. And we come because you've promised to meet us here at this table.